Thank you guys. Thanks for joining another uh, Direct Connect with Archer. I appreciate the opportunity to talk with uh, you both, uh, Leonard and uh, Steve Parker, both uh, managing partners here at Archer. Um, you know, in our, in our world, we've uh, spent a lot of time uh, talking about uh, compliance, security, reliability, and sometimes all three at the same time. Um, I know you all um, recently have been working on some projects where um, you're dealing with leaders really trying to balance all three. Um, how do leaders effectively balance all three in their world? Or do they? I don't know that they do. It, you know, it can, be, it can be a challenge balancing all three. I think, you know, you should be looking at the, the commonalities. Um, the, think lowest, lowest common denominator, or maybe greatest common denominator, however you want to frame it. Um, they're not identical. Reliability, compliance, security—they are certainly not identical. They do overlap in in many areas. Obviously, there's a there's a core set of concepts or principles you're trying to get to and achieve. Um, but they all have their you know you know unique elements to them. So I don't, I don't know if anyone's really achieving it perfectly. Um, but it's a becoming a more common theme where people want to try to combine these areas and and have a single comprehensive program rather than having a security team doing one thing and a compliance team doing another thing and hoping that they overlap. Yeah, I would, I would agree with Steve. I think, um, you know, surely the stated goal, at least at the federal regulator level is that, yeah, all three of those, uh, directly tie in and support each other, but that's not always the case. Um, you know, we have standards to, uh, you know, ensure that reliability factor, cybersecurity standards, therefore delivering some measure of security. Um, and then compliance, how you demonstrate that you've implemented um, these requirements. So theoretically, it's a good story to tell Congress, right? Yeah, we're, we're enforcing these things and all of them uh, support each other. But uh, in practice, that, that's not always the case. Um, you know, being being compliant does not always mean you're secure and vice versa. Being secure doesn't mean you're necessarily compliant. And there are certainly extreme cases of being compliant and being secure that negatively impact reliability. Um, so, yeah, definitely a challenge to balance the three. You know, some examples in the electric utility sector on uh, on being uh, um, secure but not compliant might be companies that want to leverage cloud-based solutions. Uh, but in the electric utility sector, you'll see many that will shy away from them because of compliance concerns. And I don't know if you see the exact same thing in the in the oil and gas space uh, that's managed by obviously TSA, uh, the compliance world. Um, you know, what do you guys see there? I, I would say um, we haven't seen those same concerns expressed just because the standards have not matured to the level that they're directly addressing those cloud-based concerns that the electric sector is dealing with with the NERC SIP standards. Um, I would say it's probably coming a, a lot quicker than it did for the electric sector. Um, you know, obviously they're still struggling with virtualization topics, cloud-based uh, topics. And, you know, rightfully so. I mean, there are comp compliance concerns with 
related to turning over your infrastructure, your data, um, and not having complete control over that. On the other hand, there is an argument too that it potentially increases reliability because you're dealing with companies that do those types of things every day rather than uh, your typical um, overworked uh, staff that has to deal with compliance and uh, all their day-to-day -day activities all at the same time. I'll, I'll jump out and pair what well, Leonard said. Uh, and there are, you know, I, I think there can be conflicts, right? And you have to resolve those. And the, the concern on the compliance side is, you know, what what will the auditors do? What will they allow? What will they think? What do the standards say and do and allow? Um, but the the cloud or hosting or anything of that, virtualization, as Leonard mentioned, a lot of those really are focused on both security and reliability. You know, virtualization uh, is great for reliability because you get redundancy and failover and, and, and very ease uh, and ease of failover, ease of restoration. Uh, cloud, same thing, right? You can get higher reliability, you get scalability. And along with that, typically you're going to get probably, arguably, stronger security than you'd be able to build internally. You know, the large cloud providers obviously have, have great resources, um, far more than what a mid-sized utility would have, for example. Um, from a compliance perspective, electric utilities have been at this for, I'll say, more than a decade. Um, compared to oil and gas. Um, are they better positioned than the oil and gas industry? Um, the, the, you probably would have to define better position, but if you're if you're talking about just security in general, mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know. I you know I hesitate to make a comment on that. Um, I would say potentially, you know the electric sector, Obviously, they've been dealing with, as you say, for more than a decade now, they've had security regulations. And so there are some things, um, for example, the, the separation between operational technology and general business networks has been around for, for quite some time. Um, at least from what I've seen in oil and natural gas, that sort of thing still exists. But I don't, you know, perhaps it hasn't gotten the, the level of scrutiny and attention to detail that it would get under a compliance regime. Um, so I think there are some specific areas you can point to, but in, in general, I, I I don't know. I I'm just looking at my thinking of my data set. I'm not sure that I have enough enough data points to say conclusively one way or another. That and I'm trying to be polite, obviously. <laughs> Good point. I I would agree with that. Um, you know, it's tough to to say at this early stage. Um, you know, arguably we're dealing with a different sector that has, um, shall we say. Um, larger budgets to spend. Um, but, you know, at least with the uh, experience that we've had so far in the sector, I would say that just because they haven't been under a compliance regime doesn't mean that they have not been implementing, um, you know, good security practices. Uh, certainly the, the TSA security directive was a heavy lift for, for everyone in the industry. And I think that's the, um, probably the, the, the biggest delta in being ready is more being ready from a compliance perspective and, and um, you know, never having had mandatory and enforceable cybersecurity requirements previously, not really knowing what to expect, um, how to generate evidence for an auditor. Those, those seem to be um, recurring themes that we're seeing across the uh, ONG sector. You know, usually when you look at, um, you know, 
projects that uh, wrap wrap in whether it's security, reliability, or compliance, it usually starts out with a with a strategy. Um, how companies have developed those strategies. Uh, you know, when I when I look at some of these companies uh, that we've had the the pleasure of working with, the ones that seem to be, I'll say, successful in their approach. Um, are those that have done thorough assessments, risk assessments specifically, you know, risks on compliance, risks on reliability, um, not just um, not just taking action. You know, what have you guys seen out there um, with with the work that you've done on clients that have been doing really thorough assessments as to how they want to how they want to build their strategy? I think what you're touching on, Mark, there is the difference between you know reactive and proactive approaches, and and certainly you know early on in the electric sector with both security and compliance, a lot of it was reactive. Something bad happened, you go you know you try to fix that problem that led to that. A new standard comes out, and you go and you have to react to that to that standard. But there's definitely been uh, a movement and a desire to grow the maturity in the industry, and so. And, you know, when you talk about an assessment, typically you're looking at the use of a framework of some sort, whether it's, uh, and SIP to an extent is a framework, not really per se, but it can kind of be, be used that way. But we have the, the NIST cybersecurity framework, which is very commonly used as a, as a structure to kind of develop a program around. Uh, you've got the broader NIST 853 controls. You've got the uh, ESC2M2 maturity model. Um, that's out there uh, in oil and natural gas. There's been a lot of focus on the API standard, a API 1164. Um, that's out there, and so that gives you gives you something to to, to build around, uh, and that's going to help guide the, the the things and the areas you need to address. It's not going to cover the specifics necessarily, but at least it, you know you can use that to demonstrate that you're not just making things up, and you're not being just reactive. You know, you're looking at something. Uh, that's been well thought out by many people within the industry, many different points of view. Um, gives you a good, good, solid foundation to build upon. Yeah, and I would, I would uh, actually go the other end of the spectrum and say, you know, ironically, uh, let me clarify. I agree with uh, Mr. Parker, but uh, on the other end, you know, before the standard even comes out, I would say it's generally very reactionary. Um, you know, they're typically written in response to. Um, you know, uh, threats, uh, successful uh, hacks of, of industry, whether abroad or international. And you know, the policymakers, well, what would the existing regulations, um, you know, have done to protect us? And if the, if the answer is, you know, not enough or nothing or, you know, something in between, um, that's typically the driver, the reactionary uh, action to, to use that example to say, hey, we need to increase our security uh, in these areas. And it's interesting. I heard you guys mention it a couple of times just in, in passing, but uh, when we're talking about the, you know, both are all three com uh, compliance, security and reliability, I heard a few di different times the term budget get brought up as well. Uh, none of that is free to do. Um, how, did, how did companies rationalize at times where they spend their money? Um, because sometimes it's at the peril of one or both two, uh, just to support the third one. Um, and uh, Leonard, I think you brought up as well. Some industries are, are a little more cash rich than, than others as well. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, one of the side effects of being, you know, investor owned, um, companies is, you know, you have a board to answer to, um, and you can't just, uh, 
spend money, you know, wherever you, you want. Um, <clears throat> although I guess there are situations where you're, you're big enough that you just say, you know, even though I have a board, I'm going to go buy Twitter, for instance. Um, so <laughs> there are the, like the hours, right? <laughs> um, but <clears throat> generally speaking, you know, that, that old, uh, old saying, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil, um, you know, most organizations, uh, compliance is a magic word to, to get, to get funding. Right. Um, maybe not to the degree that, um, you know, is needed all the time, but it's, it's, uh, certainly I, in my experience, regardless of the sector, the, the way to ensure that, uh, you know, a project gets implemented is tying it in some way to some compliance requirement. I'll second that compliance, uh, compliance is the path, the path to money. The other, the other aspect is actual business impact. So you look at like in the oil and natural gas space, Colonial pipeline happened and regardless of whether TSA had come out with security directives or not, you know that the boards are looking at that, the, the management are looking at that and saying, how can we not be the next Colonial Pipeline? And, and they'll allocate some money towards that. They'll, they'll come up with a, you know, the, the risk analysis of some sort, whether it's financial risk or reputational risk or operational risk. And they'll, they'll pencil it out and they'll allocate some money towards that. But uh, you're right, there's no, you know, even in the uh, wealthier industries, there's, not, there's no such thing as infinite money. And anything that you do, it's got to show a cost benefit, uh, in one one way or another. So it can be can be challenging. It's interesting. Yeah, you do get what you measure at times, and even in our uh, in our worlds in our industries, um, we're starting to see more and more clients uh, ask questions on on security uh, because they're uh, trying to get cybersecurity insurance, and those insurance companies are now asking. Uh, level two, level three type questions where in the past they were not necessarily diving as deep um, into into these companies as well. So another uh, you know side effect or impact of, of today's uh, of today's world. You know, I guess maybe maybe to round things out here a little bit. Um, you know, if you had to give an organization uh, you know a recommendation on how to go about balancing all three compliance, security, and reliability. What would uh, what recommendation would you guys would you guys give? You know, uh, and whoever wants to start, maybe I'll pick on Leonard first. As um, you know, someone who used to work for an electrical utility, uh, reliability you know has to has to come first. Um, you know, in, in ensuring the reliability of the bulk electric system is the stated goal of the the SIP standards, and. They, you know, while those compliance rules are in place theoretically to ensure that reliability, if you're in a situation where implementing something is going to negatively impact, um, you know, operations, I think you uh, you have to think long and hard on whether that the, the juice is worth the squeeze there. And and in my experience, you know, explaining to a regulator, you know, hey, this could have a negative impact on reliability if we implemented it in this fashion. Um, typically you're, you're going to, to, to get some understanding from your regulator, um, you know, whether that ends up being a dismissal of any potential, um, findings outright or simply $0 penalties, you know, there are several situations that may ensue, but, um, you know, balancing the three, I think is important. Um, but, uh, reliability has to come first. 
Yeah, I, I think, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you look for those commonalities. You look for, mm-hmm. for areas where you can conduct an activity that is going to make you more secure, more reliable, and meet a compliance objective. And there's going to be a lot of those sorts of things. Um, beyond that, if you're not hitting all three, then I think you have to score things out. And you have to say, for, for each of those three areas, does it help or does it hurt? And then weigh the, the pros and cons of those. Um if it's something that's going to hurt security or hurt reliability, but it's required for compliance, you have a conversation with your regulator. If it's required for, for compliance, but it doesn't help security or reliability, you're probably going to do it anyways, right? Um, so there's a variety, do the math, the permutations on that, variety of different scenarios. But you just got to look through and assess those and, and look for look for ways that you can meet the intent, right? Because there is... There's commonality. There will be some cases where they can they can contradict each other. You know, one thing that pops up. Um, I remember back in the day, for security reasons, we wanted to do screen saver timeouts. You know, somebody walks away from their computer, you want the screen to lock. It doesn't work in a, in a control center. People step away to use the restroom, they come back, they they need to have access to that to that computer. So there are compensating controls that can be done, but it can become a um, a compliance issue. So. Think through those scenarios and, and, and just work through them. I mean, it's it's a process. Yeah, and then there, if I can ping off of that, Steve, I mean, another example is, you know, um, I think it was uh, pre-version five, um, but, you know, encrypting data links between ESPs and, um, you know, there were some scenarios where 61850 protection relaying traffic uh, technically qualified as routable traffic that was traversing that link, but adding encryption was enough, introduce enough latency into the connection to break the protocol, essentially not allowing, you know, relays to talk to each other. Um, so yeah, that's, that's another situation where being compliant negatively impacted, um, reliability. I think um, we probably have a topic for another direct connect because I'm thinking of other examples as well. I don't want to get into just due to time, but uh, I, I think we could go on and on and come up with others where, where something that's required for compliance directly conflicts with security or reliability or something that you want to do for security conflicts with compliance and or reliability or vice versa. So maybe, maybe we'll come back and visit that another day. I've got it noted for our next direct connect maybe. So, uh, Thank you guys for another great Direct Connect here at Archer. I appreciate your time, Steve, Leonard, thank you. Hope you guys have a great rest of the day. Take care. Always a pleasure, thank you. Thank you. Not only is Direct Connect available to listen to, you can also watch each episode on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Archer News Network. If you're interested in who we are and what we do, head on over to our website at archerint.com. That's archerint.com. You can also follow us on our social media platforms, Archer International on Facebook, Archer Energy Solutions LLC on LinkedIn, at Archer underscore INTL on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and check back every other week for brand new episodes.